Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges, and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Scott Luton with Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream solo, at least on the front end here. Uh, we've got hosts going here, going there, going everywhere. Uh, the one and only Greg White is headed up to Chicago with his beautiful wife, Vicki, talking private equity uh, at a special event up there. But nevertheless, today we're continuing our home run series, right? We've gotten a ton of feedback about this series. Uh, supply chain today and tomorrow with uh, the one and only Mike Griswold with Gartner. Really have enjoyed his monthly appearances here. So stay tuned for what should be a very informative session. It's going to raise your supply chain IQ, especially when it comes to sustainability, when it comes to refurbishing and remarketing uh, products, when it comes to all things coffee, some really cool stuff in that space. And hey, whatever Mark, uh, whatever Mike Griswold has going between his two ears, we all get better when we learn that through his, his live stream appearances here. So uh, stay tuned. Before we share a couple of program notes, I want to say hello to a few folks that have already tuned in. Looking forward to today's session. So, hey, Rhonda's with us here today on the front end, jogging and listening time. Hey, Rhonda, sounds great. Hope this finds you well out in Arizona. Let's see here. Naka Belay. I hope I said that right. Please let me know if I didn't. Can't wait to learn. Hey, that makes you and you and me both. Uh, I learn a ton from what Mike shares here every month here. So great to have you here tuned in via LinkedIn Live. Let's see here. We have Bob is with us. Hey, Bob, how are you doing? It's been too long. Tuned in via LinkedIn uh, from the Pennsylvania area, I believe. Let us know how you're doing. It's been too long. Great to see you. Let's see here. Peter is with us. Peter Bolay, all night and all day. Great to see you, Peter. Hope this finds you well. Shrinivas is back with us once again from India. Great to see you, Shrinivas. Let's see here. Susan is back with us. Susan Nicholas. Hey, good afternoon. She's tuned in via LinkedIn. Great to see you. Mervin. Hey, Mervin, I appreciate that message you sent uh, a few days ago via social. Hope this finds you well. Let's see here. T-squared. Looking for that long overdue nourishment. <laughs> hey, I'm with you, and uh, thanks for holding down the fort for us over there on YouTube. All right, so what I want to do is I want to share just a couple of quick program notes before we get started here today, and I think these are teed up, ready to go. Yep, there we go. All right, so tons of learning opportunities. I think we've got three webinars thus far in June, and we're adding a few for July as well. But on this first one, which is next week, June 8th, it's all about real supply chain innovation, not the cliche stuff, right? Innovation has become such a cliche term, but this is stuff that's been put into action. So y'all join me and Greg and our friends at Transplace and Mike Wasson from Tosca. Mike's a longtime friend doing some big things. You talk about growth and innovation. Uh, what they're doing at Tosca is really in, uh, intriguing. And he's been added to the ticket. So y'all join us on June 8th. It's free to register. I think the link is in the show notes, and uh, we'd love to have you be a part of the session. All right, let's see here. Man, who is that guy? So, hey, Sapphire now kicked off today. It's the big annual event SAP puts puts on. It's a wonderful learning opportunity, 
And it, it all kicked off earlier today with a global keynote, SAP Leadership. You know, there's all types of keynotes. This one was really inspiring. It was really rooted in action, and it gave a snapshot of the path ahead. So y'all check that out. The great thing is, is while the keynote was today that kind of kicked off the event, the full track days for the North America version of this event aren't until next week. So you got plenty of time to register. And again, it's free. Love companies that, that invest in our development and market intel gathering opportunities. The procurement and supply chain track day is June 8th. So it's going to be a full day. Our friend Kelly Barner over at Buyer's Meeting Point and I will be covering a lot of the content throughout the day on June 8th. I think the link to register, Amanda, uh, if we can drop that in the chat or add it. You know, Hey, if y'all can't find it, shoot me a note. Shoot us a note to Amanda at SupplyChainNow.com. And then finally, you know, we still want to bang the drum on our efforts to support uh, those uh, organizations that are leading the fight against COVID-19 in India. So vipod.org is a great nonprofit. Every dollar is going to the fight. You can learn more about that at that URL there, vipod.org. Or if you've got questions about how you can jump into fight, maybe you've got some creative ways of, of, of supporting the efforts, shoot a note to our friends at Vector Global Logistics, and you can find them at india at vectorgl.com and welcome your, uh, your collaboration in our efforts to help our friends in India. Okay, I want to say hello to a few more folks before we bring in the one and only Mike Griswold here today. Let's see here. We've got some offers for dispatchers and brokers in the comments. We've got some congratulations in the comments. Lively crowd here today. Praveen is with us uh, via LinkedIn. Great to see you here, Praveen. Hope this finds you well and looking forward to your comments today. David is back with us. David, how you doing? Great to see you. I hope this finds you well. I like, thanks for your, I think you had a, a muddy picture of your Jeep doing some mud bogging last week that I think you shared earlier on social. So I uh, hope, hope this finds you and your family doing well. Let's see here. Andrea is with us via LinkedIn. Great to see you here today. Looking forward to your voice uh, throughout the discussion. Kavan is back with us, the one and only. Kavan, great to see you. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Nick Rumor is with us. Nick, how are you doing? Great to see you here today. Looking forward to your perspective. Always do. And Mohib, uh, Mohib, you just added yet another accomplishment to your uh, your uh, CV. Congratulations! I can't remember the certification it was it was in, but great to have you here today. And looking forward to highlighting. I got to get you some dates. Highlighting our friends out at, uh, at Wichita State University. So great to see you. Okay. Well, with no further ado, folks, I want to bring in, uh, you know, y'all, if, you, if you're a part of our regular live streams, you know, Mike Griswold is no stranger. His POV is really, you know, we talk a lot as a team, you know, folks that can take really complex things that are taking place right now across global business and just break it down into bite-sized pieces so that regardless if you're not a practitioner, if you're not a technologist, if you're not a you know, a pro to know, you know, if you hadn't been there and done that, you could understand what's going on and why it's important. So y'all join me in welcoming Mr. Mike Griswold, Vice President Analyst with Gartner. Hey, hey, Mike, how are you doing? Uh, Scott, I'm really well. Thanks. Thanks for the kind words. Thank you, everyone, for joining. I always enjoy spending this time with the community. It's, it's I learn a lot. Uh, hopefully folks learn a little thing here or there, but it's great. Uh, I love the platform. I love the work you guys do. So always excited to be here. 
Well, really appreciate that, Mike. You make our day, and uh, and again, we we it's genuine. We love these conversations. Uh, I tell you, I think you're. I'm convinced you can give an expert take on just about anything from basketball <laughs> to golf to supply chain. You name it. So great to have you back. All right. So where are we starting here today? Let's see here, Mike. Today is Global Running Day. How about that? So. Uh, the hard hitting questions. Do you jog? And if you do, what's what's your what, what scenery do you like to be around when you're jogging? Yes. So my oldest granddaughter is six now. Her and I share the same birthday. And the reason I share that is my daughter, the year before Riley was born, said, "Hey, let's let's start running together and let's start doing some half marathons." So I said, yeah, okay, well, well, we'll give it a shot. Well, she ended up getting pregnant with Riley. So I ran my first half marathon by myself. I try to do, I've done between, let's say over the last six years, I think I've done probably 10 or 11. I try to do a couple every year. But to get to your question, I my goal is to do about 20 miles a week. I'll do two shorter runs during the week. And then my wife and I, have a routine uh, on Saturdays where we'll do a bike run combo. So around us in Boise, we're very, very fortunate. We have a lot of green belts, uh, a lot of areas where we can run and bike. So we will go to the green belt, we'll park, she'll ride her bike, I don't know, 20 to 25 miles and I'll run 10. And we will pretty much end up at about the car, back at the car at about the same time. So yeah. (laughs) It, the weather here is, is very conducive to that for most of the year. Um, so, yeah, I, I try to do about 20 miles a week, uh, which I'm finding at my age is plenty. <laughs> hey, I love it. And and that uh, you're inspiring and motivating uh, probably plenty of folks. Uh, 20, 20 miles a week is something. Um, so let me, you know, running, there's so many folks that are very passionate about getting mm. their mileage in, their their they're um, jogging in, and one of those individuals, if I can find that comment, my dear friend Russ Thorne, the judge was his nickname back in the day. Um, he volunteered a lot of his time with a local industry group, and he he's probably the most passionate jogger and runner I know, as well as the biggest aficionado of dad jokes. <laughs> so we'll see what Russ can bring today. But Russ, hope this finds you well, and great to see you. Okay, and Charles says, walk. Don't run. <laughs> Charles, you're kind of more up my speed here. So, uh, And Peter was asking earlier, Mike, see if I can find it. Someone mentioned that uh, you look like you're about to hit the links after today's live stream. Any golf? Uh, no, I wish. I wish. Uh, we started basketball camp. So when we're done later today, uh, I have two sessions of basketball camp to get to. So now golf actually probably will not happen until the weekend, unfortunately, which those of you have come to know, that's pretty painful for me to have to wait till Saturday or Sunday to, to get out on the golf course. <laughs> hey, that, that, uh, I can understand that for sure. I can also understand Nick rumor who says now it's just running after his son. So yes. <laughs> we can appreciate that. Okay. So, folks, stick to stick around. Uh, would welcome your thoughts on some of these topics we're talking today. We're going to be talking Nike. We're going to be talking Starbucks. We're going to be talking some some kind of some general supply, global supply chain industry developments to keep your fingers on the, on the pulse of. So, look forward to your POV. But, Mike, I want to start with uh, you know speaking of running. Of course, got to have a great pair of sneakers mm-hmm. around here. I've always been partial, at least for the last, well, I guess since college, uh, really partial to New Balance. 
Uh, in fact, I'm due for a new pair of shoes. My wife's threatening bodily harm if I don't if I don't up, <laughs> update my kicks. But of course, Nike, uh, one of the global leaders in selling footwear, and Nike was part of the uh, Gartner Supply Chain Top 25. So doing big things and doing next generation things in supply chain. So have you heard about this Nike refurbished program? I'm gonna I'm gonna tee this up in a couple bullet points and I'll get your take on it. So really cool. You know, this whole re, I want to say remanufacturing, but it's more of a kind of a reusable market. It's growing in size. I think it's supposed to be 30 billion in a market size of kind of things that have already been used once, kind of a, a hand-me-down, but but new to some consumer. 30 billion uh, market size, I think by 2030, I believe, maybe 2025. So Nike refurbished, giving those shoes a second life. It's first is trying to get three types of returns back on the rack, like new, gently worn, or cosmetically flawed. And if they can't get it back on the rack, they're, they're looking to find ways of donating it to folks in need and nonprofits and whatnot. I love this this initiative. I wish every company had something similar. But what's your take on it, Mike? Yeah, I, I think, Scott, as usual, Nike is you know at the forefront of a lot of these types of, of ESG initiatives. It, it's interesting, you know, some of our analysts uh, on the retail side, you know, are, have started to research and talk more about this whole reusable market. I've, I, I'm, I tend to agree, Scott, that around the market size estimates. I think what what COVID has done, because you know places were shut down or had limited hours, I think people were taking a hard look at, you know, their wardrobe. What do we have? What do I want to keep? What do I not want to keep? And what can I do with it? And this market kind of just popped up out of nowhere. And you know, we're seeing it, you know, more and more on the apparel side. So you know, people like H and M and Inditex, as an example, right? Two of these fast fashion companies. Uh, really exploring, you know, how do we how do we support this? You know, I think if if you were to rewind the clock, maybe even five years ago, this idea of a marquee brand going into what I think we could agree is a secondary market that never would have happened, right? Nike never would have said, "Hey, no, 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 you're going to get this shoe," you know, at Dick's or Kohl's or some other place. We're not we're not interested in this secondary market. Well, that has changed, and, and I give companies like Nike credit to, for recognizing that, and instead of fighting it, embracing it. Yeah. How are we going to support that? How are we going to encourage that? You know, we talked last month about this idea of you know integrated purpose driven organizations, and I think you know what Nike and others have recognized is this is going to happen with or without us, right? Once I think what we've seen over the last probably two to three years is at some point, brand owners lose control of the brand. And at some point, there's nothing you can do about that. So if a bunch of people decided they wanted to start to share and swap Nike apparel and shoes, there's not a whole lot Nike can do about that. So you can do one of two things. You can fight it or you can embrace it. Right. And I think Nike has embraced it. I think it, it's fantastic. And I think... It is the beginnings of, or at least a component of what we think about from the research side around this idea of a circular economy, right? right? How, how do we just perpetuate the life of products and once they reach their natural end, how do, re, how do we reabsorb them? 
And that's a big area of research for us at Gartner is this whole idea of a circular economy. Yeah. Uh, uh, so much good. And she shared there, but you know, the interesting thing, I don't think Nike has laxed its returns policies. I didn't see that part in the article I read. So these shoes were already going back, you know, so rather than going to a landfill can, and, and you can only imagine just mm. the sheer size of that, you know, finding a way to take a, a, a huge chunk of these shoes and get them back so other folks can enjoy them, as Amanda says, at a at a discount, if I can find her comment here. Or if you even if you can't, you know, uh, make some new revenue on, on, on the these products, get them in the hands of folks that need them. Right. I love, I love the the work that Nike's doing here. So Amanda said, love the refurbished secondary market for name brands. Been scouring eBay for years doing this. Glad brands are embracing it. And and to Mike's point. It's going to happen. Right. So either you embrace it or you or you don't. So excellent point. Clay says, this is right up Tony Sheroda's and the Reverse Logistics Association's alley agreed, singing praises. And let's see here. So right there, I think you're a newcomer here to the live stream. So welcome via LinkedIn and look forward to your voice on all these matters. We're talking here with Mike Griswold from Gartner. A couple of the comments here, Mike. Rhonda says, and hopefully Rhonda can hear me. We'll see. Um, love that. So many ways to donate shoes to different causes, including the homeless population. In Philly, we did that at Philly University every quarter. Huh? It's super impactful in so many ways for our community and the planet. I think what's nice about this, Scott, um, and I like the way you characterize kind of how Nike's thinking about those three tiers. Everyone has their own, I think, perception around when a piece of clothing or when a, a foot piece of footwear becomes kind of obsolete for them. Right. And for some people, you know, you know, again, our running community, right. You know, it's, I think it's every 200 or 300 miles, you should get a new pair of shoes. At that point, they're still very, very serviceable for people that just want to walk around. Right. Mm. Some of my running shoes, once they've hit their 300 mile mark, they become the lawn mowing shoes. So there's that because people have those different preferences, this market, I think, gets some really high quality product because people have different points in the life cycle of the product where they say, okay, I'm done with it. I want to move on to a, to a new one. So I think this market is not going to lack for having inventory. Yeah. I think just because of people's preferences on when they want to move on to the, the next new piece. Agreed. And, you know, I would just add as consumers, you know, I hate returning anything. I always have. But, you know, when I can't, you know, there's, there's purchasing decisions we all must make when we're not 100% sure that this is exactly what we want right. or need or what have you. But when you get that item, you know, just treat it as if it's already going back. That way it, it kind of helps it hit the rack uh, when you do send it back. Yep. So, but anyway, great work here by Nike. I want to share a couple of comments and then I want to see your take Mike on other things that they might be doing. It's pretty neat from yeah. a supply chain standpoint. Let's see here. Uh, back to Sarathi. He's doing his MBA in logistics and supply chain management. Interesting. So, Hey, can't wait for you to weigh in on some of the things we're talking about here. Hey, Stephanie Ness makes a great comment because they're going to have to get world-class at the reverse logistics. So I completely agree, Stephanie, uh, and returns processing, right? So great point and hope this finds you well. Stephanie, let's see here. And I want to go back to Rhonda because Mike, she may be, there might be some friendly competition here. She says she runs about 60 miles a week. Holy cow. Some days it feels good. Some days it's tough to do. Got to keep 
uh, more and more and find someone enjoyable to keep healthy. So many ways to stay active mentally health. I wonder how many shoes, Mike, if you run 60 miles a week or if you run 20, I wonder how many shoes a year. Didn't you just give a ratio? Well, if you're running 60 miles a week and, and the number, let's say, because I need simple math, is 300 miles before you need a pair of shoes, then she's going to need, Rhonda's going to need shoes like every six weeks. So, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Rhonda, yes. that's why you make the big bucks, my friend. Well, so. and, and not to mention socks, right? Because <laughs> you need some really, if you're doing 60 miles a week, you need some really good socks as well. Excellent. All right. So, so I, I want to sprinkle this. We get this question all the time. And Sarathi has a great question about the skill sets and the knowledge and, and other things you need to, to take from the pandemic environment and the, what I'll call the, the general environment so that they can progress in their careers. So Sarathi, we'll try to bake that into the rest of the conversation. We get it a lot and it's a great question. So thanks so much. Okay. So, Mike, so beyond this Nike refurbished mm-hmm. program that, that you and I are clearly big fans of, what else are some of the things that Nike's doing that, that uh, are admirable from a, how you lead supply chain? Well, I think one of the things, if you think about the last couple of years, we've talked about this idea of digital. This year, we talked about digital for supply chains. Last year, I think it was something around this idea of digital orchestration. And I think Nike is a really good example of a company that has figured out what does digital mean to them and how are they going to deliver that. They made an acquisition uh, a couple of years ago of a technology company called Select, which at the time I was covering because they were in the forecasting and replenishment space. Uh, they, they ended up landing Nike as a customer, and then Nike uh, thought so much of the software, they actually bought the technology company. And Nike's done other technology acquisitions, I think, in an effort to to continue their digital journey. So it's it's one example of, of others that I've seen in retail in particular, where retailers are becoming technology acquirers, Walmart. Hey, you know, obviously with Jet a uh, number of years ago, but certainly Walmart is another kind of very shrewd acquirer of technology companies and bringing that insight right into the organization. So, you know, Nike, I, I think, does a really, really good job of understanding where I see a lot of companies struggle, which is aligning the digital strategy and the supply chain strategy. I think they do that really well. And, and if there's one thing I think companies can emulate or learn from Nike is getting that digital and supply chain alignment. Because without that, you run the risk of having these digital activities on one side that may or may not drive any supply chain improvements on the other side. Yeah, excellent point. And of, of course, the other thing, that Nike and other groups have done is, is they've, they've gone more direct to consumer with even highly customized shoes. It's been really interesting. I think one of the shoe brands has a shoe factory here in the Atlanta area. Uh, so it's just, it is, it is so interesting to see how much innovation and really revolution is taking place to serve the customer where they want to be served. And of course the ripple effect it has throughout the operations and the supply chain side of the house. So yeah, you're, you're exactly right, Scott. I mean, we, the school where I coach, we, we became a Nike school a couple of years ago. In the late summer, early fall, I will go online and I'll create my coaching shoe that I'll wear during the season, you know, so I can pick, I can pick the model, can get it in black and gold. I can put, you know, a saying on it if I, if, if I want to put a saying on it. So this idea around customer centricity and the ability 
to turn that around pretty quickly because it's not like I have to wait months to get my customized shoe. I can usually get it, you know, within two to three weeks. So that, that to me speaks again to the alignment of, Hey, we have a digital requirement to let people customize their stuff, but we also have a supply chain requirement that they can't wait six months to get it. So it's a great example of, of how Nike has brought those two things together. Excellent point. Yeah. We've come a long way since I first saw my first pair of Bo Jackson Nike cross trainers <laughs> that I could not afford then well, a long time yeah. ago, but it's really interesting. I want to, before we switch gears over to coffee, I want to call out uh, one of our live stream attendees. So Cindy Palmer is part of the volunteer team over at vets2industry.org. They're a nonprofit serving our veteran space. And you know, there's a bunch of veterans that are well-suited uh, and not just veterans, but are well-suited for the global supply chain careers. And part of the, you know, part of that uh, trend, successful transition is tuning in to hear folks like Mike talk about what's going on in supply chain. You know, check out the, the SAP event, the webinars we talked about earlier. You know, get in the know. So, Cindy, thanks so much for tagging some of my fellow veterans and, and getting them plugged into this conversation. And thanks for your service, too. I, I would agree. If, if there is a set of entities that understands the supply chain and logistics and the importance of having critical components at critical places at critical times, it's the military. If you think about their supply chain, it's, it's massive. It is global for sure. And, you know, anytime you can find someone like that with that experience, you should be scooping them up. I know we're going to talk talent in a little bit, but yeah, I, I would agree. Our military uh, not just when it comes to supply chain, has a wealth of capabilities that would serve um, any organization really well. Excellent. Well said, Mike. Better than I could say it. And I appreciate that those comments there. Okay, so let's. Um, I want to talk about coffee. And speaking of things that make global supply chain run and lead problem solving sessions, hey, coffee is yeah. it. Um, <laughs> yes. So, so, you know, we're playing off the, the Gartner supply chain top 25 was just released 10, uh, last week, right? 19th. 19th. So, a, a, a couple weeks ago. And we had Mike that joined us for that uh, a, a day or two after it was released. And, and he and Greg and Corinne kind of walked through some of the key takeaways. And I loved our whole team. We still talk about it. Love this moment, Mike, where uh, it was supply chain top 25. Supply uh, chain top. Hold, please. Uh, hold, please. It was yeah. <laughs> yes. The, the, the phone has slowed down a little bit, but not a whole lot. Trust love me. It. I love it. And, and uh, it it's going to hit our highlight reel. But Starbucks also made the supply chain mm-hmm. top 25. And it, 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 this isn't the first year. I don't think there are any, there are no newbie to this list. I think they've doing, been doing some cool things when it comes to supply chain for quite some time. So I want to talk about a couple of things that uh, recently they're working through. One of them is helped her after, and they say it's not widespread, which is good news, I guess, but after some, some missed deliveries from the distribution centers to the stores, uh, workforce issues and short, short shortages came to the surface. So in, in true Starbucks fashion, they jumped in and are working with their supply chain partners to address these workforce shortages because you know, you're only as strong as your your weakest link in the in the supply chain. So I love Starbucks approach here. Any comments around what we're seeing from a workforce and, and labor standpoint, Mike? Yeah, I I think it's how do I what's the technical term for this? It's not good. I, I think I just look around my my area here in Boise and there is many, many 
more job opportunities than there are people that are working. And, you know, we can, we can talk about, you know, the stimulus checks and all that other stuff. Right. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I think we have a, a challenge where we've got some very important roles, uh, at store level, at factory level, at manufacturing level, that we're having difficulty filling. And we're feeling the ramifications of that through the supply chain. Whether that's, you know, Starbucks, you know, unable to find enough partners for them. And I love the fact that they call their their associates partners. I think it, it to me that is the epitome of the Starbucks culture, which is everyone is in this together. But you when we think about you know, we spend a lot of time uh, at Gartner talking about kind of those those more visible supply chain roles and, and the, the challenges we're having finding things like demand planners, just as an example. But even if we, you know, found demand planners, if we don't have people that can actually, you know, process the, the output of the demand signal, if we don't have people that can, you know, work in the stores and work in the DCs, you know, that too will cause us supply chain challenges. So I think, you know, everyone needs to, to take probably a little bit more holistic perspective on talent. And yes, we need to continue to focus on, on supply chain talent upstream, you know, into the corporate office and that type of area and those types of skills. But we also need to find ways to actually you know, get the work done. And I think right now, that to me is probably our biggest concern right now is having the right partners and associates to actually get the work done. Because if we don't, then we're going to have another problem, which Mm -hmm. is we're going to have capacity issues at these locations like stores, like distribution centers, because we, we will have got the goods flowing, but we can't move them out into where customers can get it. Excellent. Excellent point. And you know, Starbucks, I should also, we were just talking veterans a second ago. They launched this veteran and veteran spouse hiring uh, program a couple years back. And I want to say they, they, their aim was to hire 15,000 veterans and veteran spouses. They hired, they hired 25,000. Uh, so they, they're really putting, you know, I've long admired the culture there at Starbucks. They're, they really are deliberate about taking action to solve some of the challenges uh, across industry. So I would agree, Scott. I, I would suggest we, we, we've got a few of those companies in the top 25. I would suggest Starbucks was prob- probably purpose-driven before we were calling it purpose-driven, right? We talked a little bit about this a couple of weeks ago with Dell, right? Dell is, has long been purpose-driven before we were calling it that. I, I think it's fair to say Starbucks as well. When you think about the veterans, uh, they were ahead of the curve a couple of years ago in, in college reimbursement with partners with, uh, I think it's University of Phoenix or Arizona State in terms of reimbursing, you know, at a partner level uh, for, for a higher education. So, They've definitely been, uh, I think, at the forefront in, in some of those areas as well. Agreed. And, and we've got, I think we've got, by my count, about eight T-shirt-isms with you already today, Mike. Like that last one. And, and, and Natalie, let's make sure we get that. The Starbucks was purpose-driven before we were calling it purpose-driven. They were, they were not late to that party. So no. a meaningful party no. as well. So a lot of good stuff there. I want to share a couple of comments here. Let's see. Um, bu- 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 Azalea, hey, Azalea, I hope this finds you well. Look forward to reconnecting with you soon. Says, I feel that recruitment should get better because of this. That online job application process is a killer. 
I agree with that. Mike, any, any comments around how we recruit talent better? Yeah, I, I think it is becoming more and more of a priority for organizations. If I think about on my team, I have a couple of analysts that, that look at the talent area and it's definitely becoming a, a more, uh, a higher, higher focus area in terms of how do we improve that experience and how do we actually just make it faster so that we can not only, you know, see more people more efficiently, but can we automate some things around some of the decision process? So there, there's, I think, you know, that's kind of a double-edged sword, right? Because certainly with machine learning and AI, right, you can, create programs that would suck a resume in, scan for keywords, move it on or not, right? I think there there's benefits to that to the point around how do we become a little bit more efficient. I think you do run the risk potentially of, of actually two things happening. Once people figure that out, then they make sure the keywords are in their resume. So you may end up with people that on on, on literally paper have the right criteria, but when you dig deeper, they don't. But you also, I think, run the risk of missing people, right? Because maybe they they didn't have as polished a resume and some of the keywords weren't there, so it got bypassed, but actually they have, they would have been an ideal candidate based on their experiences. The other thing that I've observed, even in my own role as a team manager, is there is a lot more emphasis, it seems, on behavioral type of skills and questions. So, you know, I think as as we're looking for candidates, I think one of the things to think about is, you know, putting potential candidates in different scenarios to demonstrate a behavior that you're looking for. That, to me, is becoming a lot more, um, I think, of a, of a better indicator of success is how people handle scenarios and, and do they have the behaviors that you're looking for for a particular role. Mm, excellent commentary there. And uh, as Leah, hey, I, hopefully we're seeing so much progress in so many different aspects of the enterprise. The candidate experience has got to get better across the board. So uh, stay tuned. It's coming. It does. It does. I want to also share, let's see here, going back to something you shared earlier, uh, Kavan says workforce shortages. Another type of disruptions to consider that threaten supply chains operational capacity, along with those uh, that threaten supply chains strategic capacity. Great point. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I mean, if, if I think about where some of our client inquiries are going relative, particularly warehouse operations, we've seen a significant uptick in inquiry and questions around automation and robotics in, in DCs. I think two or three years ago, I think it was a topic of interest, but people were really wrestling with kind of how do we build the business case? I think in some ways, the business case is starting to get built for people because of the lack of, the lack of resource. I don't wanna say the lack of talent, the lack of resources. So if that's the case, you know, if we can't hire enough people and therefore, you know, we miss production or we miss shipping targets, and there's a cost to that. Through automation and through robotics, maybe we can get back to those targets. That's starting to help build the business case. So I agree completely. 
the the shortage of of operational type of skills is definitely happening and it is pushing us towards accelerating i think companies automation efforts particularly in areas like the dc yeah absolutely all right. So good, good, great call outs there, Kavan. I appreciate that. You and Azalea. And then Peter says, cult brands, going back to what we're talking about, Starbucks, likely are all purpose driven prior to that term becoming popular. Excellent point there, Peter. Yeah. I, I think what's interesting when I, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, if we look at this idea of integrated purpose driven organizations, the, the integration was the key word that we, we felt was important this year because that integration is happening both internally, where I think organizations are getting, you know, these cult brands uh, are getting pressure internally from their associates to say, hey, we need to behave a certain way. And I think they're getting pressure externally from regular customers who say, you know what, I'm going to patronize or not patronize, I'm going to patron organizations that align with my with my values. So now organizations, you know, I think they had been feeling that internal pressure all along. People go to work for Starbucks for lots of reasons. One of them certainly is the culture. Right. But now I also think the people that buy Starbucks products are putting pressure on Starbucks to to continue the work that it's already been doing. So we're definitely the, these high visibility brands uh, and they're actually doing another thing. They're, you know, we talked about in the top 25 kind of raising the bar for everyone. You know, I think other organizations are feeling pressure from their associates to say, "Hey, why can't we behave like Starbucks or why can't we behave like Dell?" And you're getting the customers say, "Hey, why can't you be like Starbucks? Right. Or why can't you be like Dell?" So we saw this probably six or seven years ago. I I called it the Amazon phenomenon, right? Where Amazon provided an exceptional e-commerce experience, and once you bought stuff from Amazon, you then went to your your other retailers and said, "Okay, well, why can't I have an Amazon experience with your website?" The same thing I think is happening now with purpose-driven organizations. There are leaders, Starbucks, Dell. Nike, right? Those companies are leaders in this area and, and other companies are now being held to those standards. Mm. And, and to me, it's a good thing. Uh, I completely agree. And, you know, that benchmarking, that forced ben- benchmarking mm. that markets will uh, impose to organizations will be a good thing because to, to T-squared's point here, the hiring process needs to be more human. The human resources arena needs to be more human. And, you know, there's a, uh, and, and, and we're going to move on here in a second, Mike, but uh, I think what you were speaking to much earlier is that there's got to be a balance, right? Right. Uh, large organizations that consume talent, right? And they hire in, 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 you know, by the hundreds or at least by the dozens, you know, they've got to find those efficiency, uh, AI driven ways of, of, of working their way through uh, an army of, of applicants, right? On the flip side, and I completely agree with T squared, it needs to be more human. We got to close right. the loop better with candidates that that may not be selected up front, or may have go through three interviews and then not be the the candidate they they choose. Um, we do need more. We need more humanity uh, and communication in, in those processes. I think the other point there that was is a really good one is I think and I think we're getting better. I think we also have to do a better job of keeping kind of a a pool. Uh, of candidates. So 
you know, I might interview for a particular role. I may not be a good fill, a good fit for that role, but I have, you know, five of the seven competencies you're looking for. Don't just dismiss me because I didn't fit that particular role. Right. Keep me in your pool because I have these competencies that you value. And maybe there'll be another role that better aligns with my competencies that I might be a better fit for. You know, and I think organizations are getting better at that, I think primarily through technology. We think about the way we used to do this. It was, okay, I got a resume. We went through the interview. It didn't fit for this job. Maybe I put your resume back in a file cabinet somewhere and I had to hopefully remember, hey, we've got this role. Oh, by the way, I talked to someone six months ago. Let me pull that back out. I, I think we need to find a way to kind of systematize that that knowledge that we get so that's quicker and easier for us to, to come back to people that maybe we spoke to for, for new opportunities. Yeah, well said. And and I, th- I really believe, like we've seen the discipline of the customer experience really rise and, and come to the forefront here in recent years, the employee experience is, is just right there behind it. Yeah. And I think, I think, I think organizations, forward-looking organizations are going to really realize just how bad we're turning off all this talent because of the experience they have in the, um, the hiring and interviewing and the recruiting cycles. Well, um, it's interesting you say that because, you know, I think beginning of the pandemic, I think if you gave people true serum, what they would tell you is we're going to work remote, but the minute the pandemic starts to recede, we're going back to offices. And let's fast forward today. That frankly is not happening. We have, we've kicked off a whole body of research across the entire Gartner estate that's basically called the future of work. And, and, and the, the, sub, the subtitles are, it's going to be a hybrid environment. And I think what organizations figured out is they could work remotely. They could trust their associates to get the work done. They could give associates freedom around how and when to get the work done. And it actually worked. And I think a lot of associates have come back and said, you know what, I kind of like working this way. Don't make me come back to the office. So you talk about that whole employee experience. You know, my advice to organizations is to don't rush back into feeling like you have to have everyone back in person. Think about a hybrid approach and talk to the associates. Yeah. Get their feedback around what worked for them, what didn't work for them. And I think if I was a betting man, which I'm not, but for the purposes of our discussion, let's pretend I am a betting man. I think what we're going to find is many, many organizations having something like you know two or three days in the office and the remainder at home mm-hmm. and let people kind of figure out what balance works for them. I, I think the days of people having to be in the office five days a week – I think those are over uh, yeah. because we we were productive when we didn't do that, and I think it's it's just forcing people into areas that maybe they don't need to go. Frankly, excellent, excellent point. And I want to say just hello to a couple of folks here. Yu Hong is tuned in via Canada. Hopefully, I got your name right. If I didn't, please let me know. Uh, you make a great point there. Um, too much too much turnover uh, certainly. Uh, I want to say hello to uh, Kelvin from Zambia. Hope this finds you well. He's tuned in via LinkedIn. Great to see you, Kelvin. And and Peter is 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 <laughs> reciting something we've shared in earlier live streams or talked about. 
Who you know mm-hmm. opens doors. What you know lands a position in today's environment. Good stuff Agreed there. Agree completely. Yep. Okay. So let's um, – <laughs> I'll tell you, we, we talked talent there for quite some time, but clearly it resonated in, in a something on the tip of, of tongues and brains here lately. Let's talk about those, some of the lofty sustainability goals that Starbucks has uh, committed to for you know, going back to 2020, but uh, is getting some more attention here lately. So they just announced, I think this is back in late April, they intend on being a resource-positive company by 2030. Uh, which they define as taking less and giving more to the planet, but across the enterprise, not in this pocket and that pocket. But more recently, Starbucks announced its intentions to achieve carbon-neutral green coffee and conserve 50% more water usage in green coffee processing by 2030. So I've got a little note in my ear. The uh, resource-positive company by 2030 was announced in 2020, and those latter two goals of being carbon neutral green coffee and, and less water usage were more recent. Mike, what's your take here? This this is, uh, I think, an example uh, of a couple of things. One, it's an example of, of Starbucks just not resting on their laurels, right? And saying, look, there, there are other things that we can do. And what I like about Starbucks is, is they look at their product portfolio and what are the environmental impacts of their products. Right. Certainly, we need water to grow coffee. We need to do things around packaging. We need to do things about growing. We have a very diverse set of people that grow coffee, right, that are our supply base. How do we help them? So I think they do a really good job of kind of deconstructing their products, looking at the environmental impacts, and then how do they target it? And to me, that's, that's I think, you know, a very good approach for companies to, to embark upon. I also think the other thing that's happening is we are getting more and more people that are actually paying attention to people's targets. And if you, because if you go back four or five years, there were all kinds of pretty audacious targets around things like carbon neutrality and greenhouse gas emission and so on. And no one was really checking, frankly, at that point. People are checking now. So when you go out and say, this is what we're going to do, people are going to hold you to that and they're going to circle back if you're, if you're not doing that. So I think we are seeing more people set these types of targets, but I also am seeing people being a little bit more mindful because they know someone's keeping score. We have so many more now third parties out there that are monitoring and measuring this and reporting on it that you just can't make up some big carbon neutrality goal and and expect no one to hold you to that. In the past, that may not have been the case. The other thing I will clue people into, because it's a word that we're starting to hear more about and talk more about, is this idea of biodiversity. How do we be conscious of the, the, the resource area that we are drawing from and how do we be sensitive to that? So things like, you know, we've talked about for years, but things as simple as crop rotation. So I'm not growing the same crop every year in the same field. But I would ask the people that are watching today to start exploring this topic of biodiversity because we're going to be writing about it a lot more. And it's going to become, I think, more of a prevalent topic over the next 12 to 24 months, 12 to 24 months as an yet another way that organizations can demonstrate their commitment to these areas. It's going to be about biodiversity. 
Love that. So much to keep our eyeballs on, Mike. I wish I had more than two, you know? <laughs> so I, I got to go back to these comments around the workforce environments. And, and I'll, I'll start with a lighter note. Keith says, after working remotely for the last eight years, I have been wondering this last year why everyone was panicking about working remote. I love that. Yeah, yeah Keith, that's interesting. I mean, for an analyst, for the Gardner analysts in particular, most of us have been remote our entire analyst life. So for us, it was kind of, okay, this isn't a big deal. I think we did get, to your point though, Keith, we we did get a greater appreciation of how how new it can be for some of our clients, trying to, to just navigate something like WebEx or Microsoft Teams, but navigating that, you know, with a three-year-old in your lap or a dog that has to go out and hasn't been out for three hours, right? So it certainly, I think, brought a lot of nuances that people probably just took for granted when they weren't working from home. Agreed. I was getting sold on something on Zoom the other day and the gentleman's four-year-old, three-year-old daughter uh, uh, that was playing with toys behind him, kind of <laughs> unexpectedly jumped in the picture. <laughs> I, I embraced yeah. I lean in that stuff. Yeah. That stuff is yeah. is humanity uh, at it work. It is. So I love it that. It is. The other thing I want to share, and we're kind of buttoning up against uh, the end of the session here, but Amanda shares, she was reading something last night about how many women are not going back to the office or maybe they have limited office hours versus versus men who are going back for more office days. The author of this piece was wondering if we're about to see more male-dominated offices and more women missing out on that in-person social aspect of work. She says, interesting to think about. Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, I think we certainly have a long way to go in terms of giving you know women and and all you know diversity type of of candidates as much much exposure as we can. I think, you know, in-person certainly helps facilitate that in terms of just being there, being seen, being recognized, having those, you know, those small topic conversations. So I hope that we find a way, if that research does pan out, hopefully we can find a way to continue to keep everyone connected and, and keep people top of mind so that we don't miss out on opportunities just because someone isn't in a physical, the same physical location. Yes. As the author of the memo, Minda Hurt, Hertz, I believe said, let's make work work for everyone. And, right. and, and, you know, as this whole climate of uh, this hybrid environment continues to play out and we learn you know, there's going to be some things in a blind spot that leadership's going to have yep. to adjust for so that everyone is taken care of. So great call out here, Agreed. Amanda. Uh, I want to wrap one final question for you, and then we're going to wrap here, um, Mike. And this comes from David. We've got to start a campaign. Um, hire David. David's a great uh, great individual uh, member of uh, our community, and he and does a lot of, has done a lot of manufacturing work. He says, what kind of challenges – do you see with the remote working climate for someone that in the process of a shift in careers, uh, rather than not just a change of business or venue, any, any, um, yeah, I, I think when I look at that question, the thing that comes to mind first and foremost is, is just being aware of how different industries, uh, and segments, industry segments have embraced this idea of remote working. If you think about, you know, retail, I would have argued, was probably one of those that would have fought remote working 
the longest and the hardest and would be the the first to dismiss it when the pandemic was over. And I think all of all of that is untrue. If you look at someone like REI, who's basically selling a brand new office complex because they want people to work it remotely, other retailers have you know really embraced this idea of hybrid and remote working. So I think looking at, you know, what are the tendencies of a particular industry? Were they already ahead of the curve when it comes to remote learning, uh, remote um, working? Um, and just using that maybe as a guide to say, hey, you know, this fits in with the culture of the industry, whereas maybe it's not quite as prevalent. But I think everyone, you know, every industry is going to have to embrace it in some form or fashion. Yeah. Uh, well said. You know, so much good stuff. We're going to have to dedicate a whole hour next go around <laughs> to workforce and hiring and recruiting. Oh, my goodness, and, yes. You know, DEI and that kind of stuff. I should, a uh, quick programming note, I, I misstated earlier. Minda Hartz is the author of the memo, and, and she just released her newest book called Right Within. So y'all check that out. A lot of good stuff there. As Alea says, I would hate to see the efforts that were made towards equality in the workplace go Agreed. to waste. Excellent point. Agreed. Um, okay. Well, I hate as much as I hate to bring this conversation to a close here, we've got to do so for the sake of time. Mike, we're lucky to get an hour from Mike once a month. He is a busy individual. But, Mike, how can folks connect with you and, and certainly um, you know, download a copy of the Top 25 and you name it? Yeah. So, uh, Gardner.com, we've got a landing page for the Top 25. Clients or, or no client. If you're not a client, you can access that. I, I'm taking a crawl, walk, run approach to LinkedIn. I'm still in the crawl stage. I am getting better to responding to people. So please keep you know, reaching out to me on LinkedIn. It forces me to, to kind of move from crawl to walking. Uh, I enjoy the conversations. I enjoy connecting with people. But as you've probably already figured out, I'm, I'm not as savvy in LinkedIn as, as most everyone on the planet probably. So, <laughs> But it's, it's, I enjoy spending time with everyone here, Scott. So I appreciate you having me. Well, and vice versa. Uh, we really enjoyed. We've gotten a ton out of our conversations here and got a ton of feedback, both from our team and, of course, from across the community. We did just drop the direct link. Uh, as Mike mentioned, you can download a copy of the uh, Supply Chain Top 25 for 2021. Y'all do that. I, I did it. Uh, a lot of good stuff there. A lot of key takeaways, regardless of, of the size of the company you work in. And uh, Mike Griswold, always a pleasure. Uh, Mike Griswold, Vice President Analyst with Gartner. Really appreciate your time here today. Thanks, everyone. Talk to you next month. You bet. So everybody, hey, big thanks to Mike. Big thanks to our team back behind us, Amanda and Clay and uh, Natalie and, and the rest of the team. Hey, uh, Godspeed to Greg and Vicky as they venture to uh, Chicago for the big event and his keynote. Hope this finds you well. Hope this you have a great rest of the week wherever you are. But most importantly, hey, do good, give forward, and be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you here, right back here at Supply Chain Now. Again, real soon. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.